brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Hey everyone, I'm Jamie, and I host a podcast called Murderish, which takes you inside stories of murder and other creepy events. The first episode of Murderish lets listeners be a fly on the wall for a first-degree murder trial. The story is told from a juror's perspective as I was that juror. If you are a true crime junkie and need to know every detail, you'll feel right at home with this podcast. Follow Murderish on Twitter at MurderishPod and on Facebook at Murderish Podcast. And don't worry, this doesn't mean you're a murderer. It just means you're murder-ish. Nobody's there. It's okay, baby. Just stay right there. It's 
Everybody, we back with your favorite podcast, Eye for an Eye, Lisa, and I'm with my co-host over here, Matt. Good evening, everybody. And we have a very special guest today. You might remember her from some earlier episodes, the good old Hannah Jo. Hi, everyone. Um, so this case is super, super, super graphic and heavy today, but before we get into it, we wanted to discuss really quick, we launched our Patreon page, um, we would be so humbled to anyone and everyone who comes on there and supports us, just a dollar a month goes such a long way, it's literally three cents per day, our Patreon is patreon.com slash iforipod if you want to donate, um, or become a patron. There's a lot of great perks in there for anyone who donates anything. Um, we actually have episodes out early right now, and and that's hopefully going to be a continued trend. So if you want earlier episodes, go check it out. Take a look. We, we love you all, and we are so excited to have your support in any way we can get it. Um, please go ahead and re- review, subscribe, join our conversations on our Facebook group, on our Twitter, on our Instagram. We have so many great conversations there. And let's get into the case today, Matt. Let's dive right in, Lisa. So first we wanted to thank our sponsor, Studio Studio Sweden. Um, Studio is a revolutionary headphone company that utilizes both technology and style. Super important things to everyone, I think. I mean, you know, you get one of those tech headphones and they're so bulky, so big, and Studio really does a lot to combine both style and tech. So we wanted to thank them really quick. If you want to go on their website and take a look, eye for an eye will get you 15% off anything on their website and they have free international shipping. So check them out. All right, let's get into it. So at the top of the show, you heard a really, really disturbing 911 call. And just as a trigger warning for anyone, this does deal with infant abuse, infanticide. Um, infanticide. Infanticide, yeah. yeah. It's a horrible case, it really is. And it, and it has a lot to do with postpartum psychosis, postpartum depression, and I think it's a really important case to cover because these things aren't talked about enough. And that's why these things happen because these people do not get the help that they need. And we'll see here in a few minutes that our, um, unfortunately, the person who committed this crime was pretty much failed by the system yet again. 
um, so we wanted to get into it here. Postpartum psychosis is a rare illness compared to the rates of postpartum depression or anxiety. Now what sets it apart is it's a rare psychiatric emergency in which symptoms of high mood and racing thoughts, mania, depression, severe confusion, loss of inhibition, paranoia, hallucinations, and delusions set in, beginning suddenly in the first two weeks after childbirth. The symptoms can vary and can change very, very, very quickly. The most severe symptoms can last from 2 to 12 weeks, and recovery can take 6 months to a year, if not a little bit more if it's not treated properly. Um, about half of women who experience postpartum psychosis have no risk factors, but women with a prior history of mental illness, especially bipolar disorder, a history of prior episodes of postpartum psychosis, or a family history are higher risk to themselves and their baby. Now, it does occur in approximately 1 to 2 out of every 1,000 deliveries, or approximately 0. 0.1 to 0.2% of births, which, Matt and Hannah, I feel like that's a high rate. Like, I mean, I know 0.1% and 0.2%, but 1 out of every 1,000? Yeah, I feel like that's, higher. you know what I mean? I feel like that's a higher percentage because there's, what, billions of people, at least in the U.S. Um, so I feel like that's 1 in 1,000. Is that really 0. 0.1, 0.2%? It's crazy. I mean, I don't honestly know how, how they diagnose that and how they set that apart necessarily. I mean, psychosis, I guess, results in the action that stems from it, but I don't know. I mean, I've heard of postpartum depression, but didn't realize it was this common, honestly. Well, yeah, well, postpartum depression and psychosis are a little bit different. Obviously, right, psychosis yeah. is more severe. Obviously. Postpartum depression is, is a lot more common. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Which is also very serious and it's yes. I, I know it's a lot very troubling for a lot of women and I know a lot of celebrities recently have been reaching out and, and speaking out not reaching out about their battles with um, postpartum depression I think that's really helpful because I feel like a lot of mothers feel shame because basically it's I mean I've never gone through it but from my understanding it's not being able to you know you're just not feeling good you know you're not attaching to your baby like you know the world expects you to you're not feeling yourself you don't want to go out it's depression and it, and it sucks because you know new moms have it in their heads that they have to be this like Mary Poppins of a woman to be a good mom and if you don't have that connection instantly with your baby people are like oh my god she's a monster and that's not the case at all so many women go through this but we are talking more specifically about psychosis which is more rare of the women who develop postpartum psychosis, research has suggested that there is approximately a 5% suicide rate and a 4% infanticide rate associated with the illness. Wow. That's, that's high, too. I mean, right? That's crazy. That's 1 in 20. <laughs> right? That's, it's just so sad and scary. Now, this is because women experience psychosis, experience a break from reality. In their psychotic state, the delusions and beliefs make sense to her. They feel very real to her and are often quite religious. Which is what you hear in a lot of these cases where they're like, the devil made me do it. Or like, you know, Satan came out and, you know, said I needed to do this. Right. Um, which I guess does stem from religion, right? Um, immediate treatment for women going through psychosis is imperative to make sure that they don't become part of the statistics of death by suicide or infanticide. Um, 
It's also important to know that many survivors of postpartum psychosis never had delusions containing violent commands. So of those 0.1%, um, those are the ones, you know, it's, it's very rare to think of hurting or actually going through with hurting yourself or your child. Mm-hmm. Although it does seem like the suicide, death by suicide rates are higher than, you know, expected. Now, delusions, of course, take many forms. Not all of them are destructive. But most women who experience postpartum psychosis, like I said, do not harm themselves or anyone else, including their baby. However, there is always the risk of danger because psychosis includes delusional thinking and irrational judgment. And this is why women with the illness must be quickly assessed, treated, and carefully monitored by a trained healthcare perinatal, I lost my voice, mental health professional. So, Matt and Hannah, postpartum psychosis is temporary and treatable with professional help, which I really want to get across. If you're feeling any type of way like this, both with postpartum depression and postpartum psychosis, it is treatable. There is there is a way out of it. And it's sad and it's scary because I think a lot of the people who are going through any kind of psychotic break um, don't realize that they're going through the psychotic break. So it's really important to understand yourself, the warning symptoms you know, and otherwise, and getting these people help. Because we'll see in Adi Sanchez's case, this is where everything went wrong. Right. And we're going to get into her case here in a second. So, if you feel you or someone you know may be suffering from this illness, know that it's not your fault and you are not to blame. Please call your doctor or an emergency crisis hotline right away so that you can get the help you need. There was also a resource that I found, and you can text HOME to 741741 from anywhere in the USA, anytime about any type of crisis. I'm going to put that number in our show notes as well. So if you or anyone you know just need help with anything, it's not even just limited to postpartum psychosis, I thought it was really important uh, before we get into this case because it's horrific and so scary and so sad, I wanted to put that out there so we can prevent any case like this from ever happening again yeah absolutely i mean it's always good to have resources anybody that you can talk to sometimes it's best to talk to somebody you don't know mm-hmm. almost non-judgment know. it's good to have a non-biased opinion of, of your life right that's why therapy's good everybody everybody go to therapy yeah because it's really nice to have an outsider's opinion of your bullshit that you're going through because lord knows it's nice to have someone not judge you what? <laughs> Are you going to start doing that now? Yeah. Are you going to start doing that? That is now? the funniest episode I've ever... You oh, guys will hear God. it soon, I'm sure, but we record an episode. I hope it doesn't offend anybody. But... Uh, yeah, I really apologize <laughs> if we offended anybody. I thought but it was... Matt did the whole entire episode in that in that voice, and I... Either we were just... Del- you would think we were shit-faced because... We were just so delirious no, and so tired. No, you can tell the case we were shit-faced. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> People know the difference. I've, I've had some people say, like, yeah, I couldn't you? even remember if we actually discussed if the punishment for the crime was about to call you and be like, Matt. Yeah, like, do we actually realize if an eye for an eye was met? But no, you can tell. Uh, so let's let's get on to the case. Um, so again, we'll throw out another graphic content warning here for anybody that may be subject to any type of reaction from anything like this. This will get a little graphic. And it, like I it has to do with babies and, and unfortunately they're um, not there a, a child's right I mean anything murder. involving infanticide is terrible but we're gonna get into some pretty heavy shit so let's uh, let's get on to it Texas of all states may have the most heavily scrutinized public mental health system in the entire country the state ranks currently 49th nationally per capita in spending on mental health only New Mexico is worse and that is according to the Kaiser Family Foundation 
State lawmakers have shorted the system for years. I'm not sure what else the money's going to. That's going to Deep in the heart killed. of Texas. Now I'm singing to you guys. I love you guys. I love Texas. It's awesome. Uh, so anyways, the, res- the result of this approach is that hundreds of thousands of Texans with severe mental health illnesses, anything, must fend for themselves. Um, and for many people, the public system as it is, is really the only option. So private facilities can as we all know, I've heard about, can be prohibitively expensive. A lot of insurance companies don't really offer coverage for mental health care. Uh, and those that do, it's, again, extremely expensive. Uh, and a lot of times these things, we realized, aren't diagnosed until after there's already a problem we've kind of come to see. Um, but Which know, is so sad. That's like that. I think that right there just sums up the mental health problem in America. They're right. so stigmatized that right. the only time that people are offered the help they need or after something horrific happens. Right. And that's something that we need to change, and I feel very strongly about that. Absolutely. I mean, you know. Vote me as president, Lisa, <laughs> 2040. 2040, yeah. <laughs> I'm not allowed because I was, I'm not born here, but... Nice try, Lisa. Okay, back to the case. Whatever, you're more qualified. Um, a few days stay, actually, just at a private treatment facility, I mean, will cost enough where you'd be exhausting all of your health insurance benefits on even the most decadent insurance plans. It's not feasible for people to continue to do. Uh, yet, in Texas's public system, only lucky ones really receive services. Texas operates a dozen state hospitals, which are almost always near capacity and difficult to gain admittance to because of limited bed space. So a network of about 39 com- community mental health authorities offer counseling, medication, and other outpatient services. Uh, but again, due to extreme funding shortages, the community centers can offer help to only really a sliver of the people that truly need it out there. Um, so, you know, and the heat, We'll get to you down there, of course. State officials have estimated that the centers can afford to treat only about a third of Texans who live with severe mental illness. So that leaves roughly 400,000 people largely without a cure. Can you, like, and and that's just Texas. That's just Texas. And, like, yes, they are admittedly one of the worst of the rankings in the mental health systems, but I really can't imagine many states are that much better. Especially because not only, so yeah, maybe we do have the resources for mental health, but there's still that stigma that prevents people from getting help. Exactly. And a lot of people who do truly need help, they're the last ones to get it, unfortunately. Until something happens. Until something happens, right. Yeah. Which we see here. And uh, so this is how it ties into Adi Sanchez. The irony of that case is that of all the places in Texas that do actually suffer this severe mental health crisis, San Antonio might be the best equipped to offer treatment, uh, which throughout spread throughout the state, you know, a large city, you'd think there would be good treatment centers, good doctors, lots of resources for people, but again, it's about getting them, not just having them. Uh, So the centers actually around there have even tried to form alliances with police, judges, other healthcare providers um, to to try and create um, a better environment how to spot and calmly subdue people who have suffered mental illnesses and might have, you know, acted out or have done something to endanger other people. And we want to preface that with we know that not all mentally ill people are violent or dangerous. We know that they're not criminals, that not every mentally ill individual with whatever, even like we said at the top of the show with uh, postpartum psychosis, we know that that does not mean every person suffering with this is going to go out and kill all the babies in the world. That's not what we're saying. And I feel like 
for whatever reason that needs to be disclaimer because people don't hear that enough. It's right. just people think that, oh my gosh, we're we're broadcasting another case about mental illness gone wrong and how it can be the worst of the worst. However, that's not what we're saying. We just want, I think it's important to talk about these cases to recognize that this is a problem. Our mental health system is horrible. And the reason it's horrible is because we're not helping people who really need help because it is so stigmatized. So I wanted to just put that disclaimer out there just in case anyone wasn't sure where we stood from the last 100 episodes but I thought it was necessary that just to throw it out every time we talk about mental illness I'm not saying that every person with X mental illness is going to do Y that's not what I'm saying and I know it's a minority but we do need to focus on some of these people that do commit Y because how are we ever going to help the small percent of a small percentage of X's out there right right yeah just want to shout that out sorry <laughs> go on man. no no we appreciate it no, it's also important to focus on the like the very extreme cases to show that like maybe if this woman would have gotten treated right away nothing like this would have happened exactly. so it's right. important to focus on these kind of cases just to show like what can happen right has has it gone not worst case scenario treated. i mean yeah you know. and why we need this stuff to be taken seriously and to be treated seriously right. because Great of what point. can happen potentially yeah it's... not necessarily what has happened but what could happen mm-hmm. yeah I, absolutely I agree. absolutely so uh, the Center for Healthcare Services actually in San Antonio treated Audie Sanchez for three months in 2008. Uh, and they've also, ironically enough, been one of the leaders in trying to innovate this entire industry down in the region. Um, they've adapted their jail diversion programs aimed at keeping nonviolent offenders with substance abuse or mental health issues out of prisons. Uh, in 2005, the center actually helped open up a 10-bed inpatient mental health crisis center where people can stay for up to 23 hours if they have nowhere to go. Uh, combined, these programs are keeping nearly 1,000 people a month out of the county jail. That's so. pretty amazing. We need to shout out Texas for that because right. although they're for struggling services. in some areas of the mental health fight, they are excelling in others. And, and San Antonio happens to be one of those places that's really taking the fight to... Um, get the proper facilities, the proper health care in place for those who suffer from mental illnesses, they're leading it. Which is funny because it's one of the least um, efficient, efficient states. Sta- Isn't that funny? I thought that was so ironic. That was one of those things where it's like, okay, it's one of the worst funded states for mental health facilities. However, they're one of the leading states for the mental health facilities that they do have right. and the programs that yeah, they have. Yeah, I mean, they're saving taxpayers money, providing people treatment instead of incarceration, keeping them out of an already overcrowded prison system uh, that reduces chances they'll break the law again even you know because of just recidivism rates people that go to jail often wind up back in jail it's just numbers game so um, but it means also you know unfortunately the more overcrowded and oversaturated anything becomes the more people tend to fall through the cracks which is what we believe happened here brain fog insomnia moodiness achy joints weight gain Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older, or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA-approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. 
A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history, so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. So a little bit of background about Adi Sanchez. Now, in her family, hearing voices or seeing the occasional hallucination is not unusual. Mine either. Yeah. It, it's something that is hereditary. I think, right? Is it schizophrenic? It is, yeah. Schizophrenia is hereditary. Yeah, um, yeah which we, we read about in your Slenderman case. You're right. Because within the father right, also hear voices. Can't yes. find Slenderman if you haven't listened to Please it. Please check that out. Go I back know. an episode. No, two episodes because two. three episodes. I'm losing track of my episodes. What are you doing? I'm sorry. I we keep we're on a roll, so we've recorded shit in advance, and so I'm not 100 percent sure where this case lies. But surprise, if you haven't listened to it, it's already out. I don't know which one it is, but go check it out. Gold jacket, green jacket. Who gives a shit? <laughs> yeah. Go listen. To Just it. go listen. Go to listen. It. listen to Rate, it. review, it's and good. subscribe while you're at it. But yeah, so schizophrenia is one of those mental illnesses that does show itself um, in genes right mm-hmm. and hereditary and hereditary that doesn't even make fucking sense whatever so it's important to note like i said for this particular case that audie's mother aunts and cousins all had similar mental illnesses wow. and that at the top of the show that we were talking about for postpartum psychosis if it runs in your family that you have a higher risk of of taking it to that next level not saying everybody is going to do that, but that is one of the, the risks that it said on the postpartum psychosis um, advocate website. So Sanchez was an only child and never knew her father, and she grew up in a crowded household with seven other relatives, including her mother. Like we said, some of these relatives also suffered from the same mental illnesses that she was debilitated by. Mm-hmm. The family moved often, living at least in at least three states during Adi's childhood, so they're constantly moving... It sounds pretty much to me, Matt and Hannah, that she didn't really have a stable home, right? She's constantly moving. She's a very crowded house. It sounds overcrowded, to be honest. It just sounds chaotic. And especially if you're someone young and you're suffering from mental illness, that you're, you're not understanding what it is yet, and you have people around you also suffering from the same mental illness, how much chaos can you take, right? And, and not having a stable household is hard for anybody, let alone someone who is also suffering with some mental illness, you know, debilitations as well exactly i mean nurture versus nature but when you're in an environment i'm one of those cases right i look like a potato just like the rest of my family because nurture baby (laughs) but i mean not having a safe home environment to come home to is awful and not safe in the way of like like any time that you go home and you feel uncomfortable or not welcome there Mm -hmm. that's an unsafe living situation so i'm sure that adds to any amount of stress or any mental illness and that exaggerates uh, exu- what's it called exaggerates exuberates both of those words correct your mental illness that like makes it worse right exacerbates yeah. exacerbates there we are bitch there we are exacerbates okay. disclaimer we all have college degrees yeah. <laughs> we did go to college you yeah, guys we all know that way I too much with my fucking words. money to be there you're too. right and I'm gonna be paying it off until I'm 31 did the math eh, eh. That's it. Unless I get rich soon. Lucky you, bitch. So, uh, <clears throat> support our Patreon. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
So they returned to San Antonio from California when Adi entered high school. So they were moving around a lot. She started in, I don't even remember where she started, but she moved all over the place and ended up in San Antonio when she was in high school. Now, Sanchez would later be diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia, and her relatives had no idea she had mental illness until a year before the eventual murder took place, according to the court records and to her lawyer, who has extensively interviewed the family. That's partially explained by the other relatives' illnesses. Her symptoms were also easy to ignore. They didn't... Oh, they were also pretty easy to ignore because they didn't obviously disrupt her life until just last year. So she was pretty good at managing her symptoms of schizophrenia. Um, like I said, she was a paranoid schizophrenic diagnosed, um, which is something that a lot of people in her family also suffered with as well. So it was one of those things where it kind of fell by the wayside because so many people in her family were going through the same things that it almost wasn't abnormal. It was just kind of like, this is how it is, which could be great, could be horrible, and in this case, it turned out to be horrible, but... I mean, you hope nobody is ever ignoring a diagnosed or undiagnosed or suspected mental illness based on family history, but yeah. apparently that's what happened here, so... Yeah, yeah. so it, it's one of those things where it's just kind of... it. Just none of this um, was a recipe for success. So, like I said, it's not stigmatize people with schizophrenia they're more likely to be victims of crimes than the perpetrators of crimes but this like i said was just a bunch of ingredients thrown in a pot that ended up horribly um you know when you have the wrong ingredients mixed it can turn into a fire very quickly now in fact what was ironic about Audie sanchez's case is family friends all often described Audie as one of the most level-headed people in the family she had been hearing voices since age Five, according to the report from a psychiatric evaluation conducted on her in the county jail. Now, she noted that the voices are often good voices telling her everything is going to be okay, according to the report by Brian Scope, who is a psychiatrist appointed by the court to evaluate Sanchez's competency to stand trial after, you know, the crime was committed. However, Audie also heard bad voices. One voice in particular named Lucy which told her to do bad things, like eat my hand, is what she told Brian Scope. Wow. Yeah. So that's, you know, unfortunately, she heard bad voices as well as the good voices, and it sounds like eventually the bad voices kind of overcame. Um, and it's it's hard to imagine what that would be like because – you know, hearing it from our perspective, people who don't suffer with schizophrenia, paranoid schizophrenia, or postpartum psychosis, um, it's kind of hard to imagine what that would be like. But I know through, I, I've gone through so many deep dives into research on schizophrenia, and by no means am I a psychiatrist, psychologist, or any of the above. I don't study brains or anything, but I have done a lot of research <laughs> independently just because I'm curious about it. Um, and it's very real to these people. Even people um, in the mania episodes for bipolar disorder. These things are real to them. And this Mm -hmm. is, and that's something that people need to recognize and kind of empathize with. It's, it's, these are things that sometimes are recognizable as being a little bit outlandish to the person going through, but also sometimes can be very convincing, very annoying and very scary. And you know, if you're constantly hearing someone to tell you to do this, do this, do this, do this, do this, or your, you know, your family's gonna be hurt or whatever the case may be, 
you're going to end up doing it. You're going to end up snapping. You can only be told to do something so many times um, before it really gets to you. So Lucy was the bad voice in her head who would tell her to do things, like I said, such as eating her hand. Now, Audie Sanchez was mostly able to live with these voices in mild paranoia for years. So she was, like I said, I don't know if she was on medication um, or if she was just able to ignore the voices in her head, if she was able to... Um, I don't know. She she managed, and and this is something that people can manage. It's a manageable disease, unfortunately, um, a mental illness. Unfortunately, it's a, it's definitely a scary um, thing to go through, but it doesn't have to be. And I actually posted on our Facebook. I'll probably repost it when we um, launch this episode. She wasn't. She didn't have postpartum psychosis, but she did have a. Um, she does have schizophrenia. And it was a TED Talk of this girl from Penn State, actually, Matt, who, I don't know if you saw the video that I posted. It was really, really amazing. Um, she was talking about life with schizophrenia and how it needs to be I stigmatized. Did. I did. I love it. It's an video. amazing, I'm going to link it in this yes. video. Um, or I'll just post it because I don't know if that would be, like, horrible to associate her with a crime that, you know what I mean? I don't want to, like, put that association out there. But it's something that everybody should listen to. It's really, really informative. And it talks about how they're not monsters. And, and they do see and hear some scary things sometimes. However, that doesn't make you a monster. And that doesn't mean you're going to act on these things. And so that's something important to understand as well. And I, I just want to be very delicate. I know I keep repeating myself. But I've seen so many podcasts get shit on from people who think that they're covering mental illness in a way that's not appropriate or stigmatizing or demonizing. And I just really don't want to be one of those podcasts. I want to learn from their mistakes and try my best to be as informative, as open-minded, as um, unbiased, as accommodating. You know, I don't want to. I don't want to make anyone out to be a monster because I don't believe that they are monsters. No. So that's just. So that's why I keep repeating myself in that. I just really want people to know. And if and if I am offending anyone that suffers from any of these diseases or mental illnesses or knows someone who does and is offended by our words, please let us know because I want to know how to discuss these things in such a way that isn't something... Like, obviously, this case is horrible, and I'm trying my best to say that this is a minority because it is. Um, But if anybody has an issue with how we're talking about this, please let us know how we can do better. I just want to make sure that we're, you know, as appropriate and as... um, yeah, accommodating as we possibly can be. Yeah. So, she finished high school and began taking pharmacy technician classes. And that is where, in 2003, she met Scott Butchholz. Buckholz, I think that's pronounced. Whoops. Scott Buckholz. I only know that from watching baseball. So. Yeah, that's where, in 2003, she met Scott Buckholz, who was also a schizophrenic. Mm. So... Unfortunately, in this case, and I, I would maybe dare to say in most cases, um, having two people with a debilitating or a, a mental illness that gets to a debilitating point is probably not the best combo. Even two super depressive people or, you know, two people suffering from any kind of eating disorder or two people suffering from, you know, any two people suffering from a mental illness could either find solace in each other or find conflict in each other. And in Adi's case, her and Scott found conflict in each other. They had a very dysfunctional on-again and off-again relationship throughout years. 
So Matt, that started in 2003. Now, I don't know why or how or what the situation was. Like I said, it doesn't really touch on if she was on any medication in the beginning since, like we said, she was diagnosed at a very young age since she was five with mm-hmm. paranoid schizophrenia. Um, but her mental illness did seem to decline in the, the years coming. Her behavior became more erratic. She had trouble staying employed. She was bouncing from one low-paying job to another. She worked at fast food restaurants and briefly at a home health, as a home health hair, caretaker. Now, in late, in late May 2008, um, which was five years after she met Scott, Sanchez went to Austin with a friend. While her friend was getting an acupuncture treatment, Sanchez wandered off, um, which was a part of her mental illness. She walked into a CVS and prowled the store for the next seven hours. See, Target I could understand, but CVS, <laughs> right. what, what were you doing for seven hours? Although in college I could have got lost in our CVS for days just because it was right under my apartment. <laughs> I just would sit there for fucking hours like shit-faced <laughs> trying to figure <laughs> out what chips I wanted. Yeah, right. I mean, Gidget and I have gone down there in some crazy states. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but un- seven hours. It's unbelievable to think that somebody could seven hours. Seven what hours. I want to know is where in the world was her friend? Yes, yeah, she was getting acupuncture, but acupuncture yeah. doesn't take seven hours what kind of appointment was she on right no wonder she left but matt it seems like her friend did end up calling the police and they did arrive to the cbs um or maybe cbs called the police it doesn't really state but they took her to austin's state hospital where she stayed for 16 days so that was the first real okay something may be a little off with audie more so than your average symptoms and signs of schizophrenia. Serious, something serious is starting to occur. We're noticing that she's acting more erratic. She's wandering around for hours and hours and hours in a CVS, which is, like Matt said, not the place that most people would choose to be locked in for seven hours. Mm-hmm. Um, like, even take me to Walmart, I'd probably have a better time. <laughs> Blockbuster? I, if those were days, still open... I would read the back of movies for days. I swear, for days. I could know, read them I'd like still books. still be in Blockbuster right now if they we, never closed. We took years like, in Blockbuster together. Blockbuster. So, shout out to Blockbuster if any of you were still around. Please send us some movies. Y'all still got their, their VHSs. <laughs> yeah, Don't really. give them back. Rewind Keep those up. fucking things. <laughs> um... So, police, like I said, arrived and took her to the hospital, and that was the first time that her family learned of the severity of her mental illness. After her mental state stabilized, Sanchez was released. Like Matt said in the beginning, they only had enough beds to hold you for X amount of time. They did not have time to really take the care and and the... They didn't have time to treat the mental illness. They just had time to kind of get them in, get out, stabilize them get them on their way and most people know especially with Vince Lee's case this is what I worry about at least sorry Vince if you're listening um a lot of times when you're suffering from a mental illness and you are on medication to stabilize the mental illness when you're stabilized of course you feel better when you feel better you feel like you don't need the medication anymore then it turns into a cycle and it gets even worse so that's that's what I would worry about here in San Antonio's um, outpatient center. Outpatient center because it seems like they just kind of stabilized her and then we're just like, all right, peace out, right. have fun, like try to, you know, and that's unfortunately not the way you can deal with mental illness. It's not 
a safe way to do things and it's not really taking consideration of the person suffering right. it's not unfortunately mental illnesses aren't such a quick fix it takes people years to find the right cocktail of medications to stabilize them and it's different per person because it's different per hormones uh, it's a bandaid um, on a bullet wound unfortunately sometimes. yeah so the nurses at Austin State Hospital referred her to outpatient care at the Center for Health Care Services in San Antonio, and they gave Sanchez the contact information, set up an appointment for her, and later called to make sure she showed up to get information from the Center for Health Care Services in San Antonio. So throughout the summer of 2008, Sanchez, who was uninsured at the time, received free outpatient treatment from the San Antonio Clinic, including regular counseling sessions and antipsychotic medication. But keep in mind, she was uninsured. And like we said just a few seconds ago, she was feeling much better, according to her health records. Mm -hmm. She finally found the cocktail medication that she needed to stabilize herself to make her feel you know, as if she could function as a, you know, quote-unquote, more normal member of society. Um, But unfortunately, in September 2008, everything changed. The Center for Healthcare Services had a budget cut, and they told her they could no longer afford to provide her treatment, which I think... Well, obviously, this this is part of the reason all of this happened, and I feel like... In my personal opinion, which we'll get into when we talk about eye for an eye, I feel like they should absolutely be held accountable because how could you not see the severity of a mental illness? Stop giving them treatment that that's needed to function as a human, as a human, as a functional member of society safely for not only yourself, but others. That's such a fault. How did that happen? And we're going to talk about it now. There's an OJ thing on TV right now. Oh, fuck. It's that thing. Yeah, dude. That confession he thing. <gasps> yeah. My he straight up said he did it. Yeah. It's on right now. It's on right now. Let's get back into Audie Sanchez. Let's uh let's where we left off, she was basically left hung out to dry by the Center for Healthcare Services. Now we also want to stipulate that like you have to have enough in a budget to take care of somebody, but how more not we're blaming them for their budget, but we're blaming whoever makes the budget for how do you not account for people like this who are severely mentally ill, who you could think might need more treatment to stay off of a dangerous path. Um, but anyways, uh, her attorney says that Sanchez believes she could never afford treatment. Uh, she was given the option to either pay for it or qualify for a government benefit, which she did not. So when her next appointment rolled around, she just didn't show up because she didn't think she could afford it. Clinic workers didn't have time or resources to track her down. She just sort of, as we say, fell through the cracks. So they moved on to the next client on the waiting list, and a month later, the center classified Sanchez's file as being closed. So, unfortunately, that is what happens. And here's a quote from her attorney that says, they let her drop out, and they have to because they don't have the money. Which is fucking terrible, and that's part of the problem. Yeah, that's part of the problem. It sucks that this shit costs money. Like, I get it, like, they're people, like, but I'm pretty sure it's not as expensive as the inflation that our government puts into it. Um, Less about the government, more about the healthcare providers with these sorts of things, though, Lisa, I would say that. I mean, insurance companies make a boatload of money. So do a lot of these drug companies. Yeah, so do big a lot pharma. Of, oh, big pharma. But I mean. who are they funded by? Who do they back? It's you know what I mean. It's like we a hundred percent have cures for a lot of diseases out there that they don't 
give to us because the money that rolls in because of these drugs. All oh, right. I, I do believe that that's a big problem is the funding is absolutely bullshit. It shouldn't cost fucking money for this kind of stuff. It's ridiculous. I don't. I don't understand. It's just greed, honestly. A whole fucking country is run on money. So, oh, and this uh, is what happens. So, thank you, yeah. country. Well, and uh, and around that same time, she stopped receiving treatment. That's when she reunited with Buckholes, who, as we said, was also suffering from schizophrenia. Uh, and in late two thousand eight, September two thousand eight, she got pregnant. Which so let's think about that for a second. That just compiled onto things. I'm sure. I mean. Um, a schizophrenic woman who was getting worse and worse and worse by all accounts got with her schizophrenic boyfriend who, I don't know if he was stabilized, but it's by the healthcare system, it sounds like probably not. They had a baby. Mm-hmm. Two weeks later, we'll find out why that was the worst decision that 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 could have ever happened ever. Not two weeks later, but... Two Nine months after. later, yeah, yeah, two months after it was born. So, this is where shit really hits the fan and goes sideways. So, please be warned, this is horrible and, like, the most disturbing. It actually made me sick researching it, which is kind of ironic because I, I normally don't really get sick researching these kind of cases, but for whatever reason, this gave me, like, a massive headache and a bellyache, and I actually had to take a break. Yeah, um, it's tough to hear, tough to read. Which is weird, because like I said, these things normally don't bother me so bad, but that for whatever reason, this really got to me. So just be warned. Um, yep. I didn't get really graphic with this one. I mean, it's graphic, but I didn't get too graphic because the descriptions of what happened and there's fucking pictures of what happened, which I didn't look at either, because I'm not going to ever do that. Um, I think it's pretty self-explanatory. We heard the YouTube video. We'll hear some details. Yeah, it's, it's just horrible. Terrible. So. yeah. She gave birth to Scotty Buckholds on June 30th, 2009. So she, he's, I guess, a junior. She named him after the dad. Her OBGYN prescribed antipsychotic medication, which she had given up medication during her pregnancy. But Sanchez said the drug made her too tired. So, you guys, she stopped taking it on July 17th, nine days before the attack. Her doctor planned to offer her a different drug, but before that could happen, Sanchez had one of her frequent fights with Buchholz. On July 20th, she left him and descended into crisis. We want to take a moment to thank our sponsors, Studio. Studio is a revolutionary company designed with you in mind. They want to revolutionize the way people see headphones. It's not just a tech device, but also an accessory. Currently, the headphone market can offer you one of two things, style or tech. Studio wanted to think of the consumer who wanted both, us. Fashionable headphones tend to lack the proper sound quality and high-tech variations are bulky and not design-oriented, and not to mention, pretty expensive. Studio wants to bridge that gap. While emphasizing modern Scandinavian design, they also provide a product that matches the sound quality of even the highest rated headphones on the market for a fraction of the cost. With 24 plus hours of active battery life and 20 days of standby life, the perfect companion for you at home or on the go. Connect to any device via Bluetooth. If you're interested in getting a pair, which I highly, highly recommend, especially if you like listening to our podcast on the go, we will have a link to their website in the show notes. But even better, if you use our discount code, eye for an eye, 
that will give you 15% off any purchase. So that is discount code I for an I E Y E F O R A N E Y E for 15% off any purchase, you guys. Best part is they have free worldwide shipping. That's right, free. With a sleek design and high quality sound, how could you go wrong? Remember, I for an I gets you 15% off any purchase on their website. Their link will be in our show notes. And 15% off plus the free shipping, you're not going to find a better deal anywhere on the market. E-Y-E-F-O-R-A-N-E-Y-E for 15% off any purchase on their website right now. We love you guys. We Thank you, you, Studio. Thanks, Studio. Emotional stress also often exacerbates postpartum depression. Sanchez soon found herself in the emergency room at Metropolitan Methodist asking for help. So she recognized there is something going wrong with me, really wrong with me. I need help. Uh Please get me help. After the hospital ushered her out of the door with little more than an information sheet, there was still one last opportunity to prevent the killing of this sweet baby. On the afternoon of July 25th, 12 hours before the attack, Sanchez visited Buchholz and his mother, Kathleen. Sanchez had been living with her relatives and wanted to retrieve from Buchholz the baby's diaper bag and, the medic- and her medication. Now, she hadn't taken one of her pills in eight days. These are medications you have to take on a daily basis. To avoid a psychotic break. To stabilize your moods and yourself. She hadn't taken one of these pills in eight days. And mind you, only a few days before this, she was in the hospital saying, please help me, I need help. I, this, this is, something is not going right. This isn't working out for me. Somebody help me. I'm a new mom. Help. Right. She asked for help. Well, and you have the to wonder if hospital said, get the fuck out. You might have, might have to wonder if they might have diagnosed her as postpartum depressed and just said, you know, hey, this happens. Come back in a couple weeks if you still feel the same way. Yeah, but way. even that should be taken more seriously. Right, you'd think that they would, even that would be, but yeah. I but mean, yeah, I, they literally just said, here's a pamphlet. I think you're right. Here's like a pamphlet on postpartum yeah, depression. this is what happens when See you ya. have a baby just in case you feel like this. Here's what you can do. Like, you know, it's, it's not. I'm not saying they didn't try to help at all, but yeah. They probably misdiagnosed her on the site and just, you know. There was a lot of, a lot, a lot, a lot of failures um, in this whole story, which makes it even more sad because it's like she was begging for help and was was not getting the help she needed, and this is why it spiraled completely out of control. I feel I'm 100% a believer, and we'll talk about this, that this entire thing could have been avoided. So, Buckholtz's mom noticed that Sanchez had seemed erratic and paranoid when she came to pick up her baby bag and her medication. Of course she did, because she didn't take her medication in eight days, because she didn't have it. At one point, Sanchez refused to let Kathleen Buckholtz hold the baby because she feared Kathleen was trying to steal her son or breastfeed him. The The Buckholtzes told Sanchez that she needed to seek help. At that, Sanchez abruptly got up and fled the house with the baby. Kathleen called law enforcement and told officers that Audie had run off with the child and was an unstable schizophrenic. The officers, who were members of the Bexar County Sheriff's Department, took no action and dismissed the report as a minor disturbance. Everyone failed. 
In the days leading up to the murder, Sanchez says she was paranoid, fearing that people were spying on her and plotting to take her baby. Her paranoia became worse when the voices began to get worse. For days, Sanchez says, the voices told her that the devil was in her son. She would avoid looking into his eyes for fear of seeing the devil, quote unquote. Jesus. Through the course of her evaluation by Dr. Sellers, Sanchez elaborated on the circumstances surrounding the death of baby Scott and what the voices were saying. According to Sanchez, the voices told her that her mother had killed President John F. Kennedy and Marilyn Monroe and that the KKK was mad at her mother for killing JFK. Now, this is showing you what delusions are like. She genuinely believes this. You know, as wild as we sit here and think it is right now, this is something she genuinely believed. She believed that these things happened. Wow. And that her mother was to blame. Well, they did happen, but not that her mother was to blame, and none of them are related that I know of. Wow. In an interview with Adi, with Dr. Poirier, she said, The voices told me to hurt Scotty. He was going to be the apocalypse. Officers were called to the home early Sunday, um, just a few days after the whole police calling with her and her baby um, running away from Buck Holtz's house and found the boy's mother, Adi Sanchez, sitting on the couch with a self-inflicted wound to her chest and her throat partially slashed, screaming, I killed my baby. I killed my baby. And you kind of heard that in the 911 call at the beginning of the show. The first police officers at the crime scene were so shocked they could barely speak. When they arrived at the white-paneled house on San Antonio's north side at 5 a.m. on July 26th, officers found a bedroom doused in blood and the decapitated and mutilated body of a baby not even a month old and his mother, 33-year-old Adi Sanchez, screaming that the devil made her do it, which again, we did hear that in the 911 call very faintly in the background. Sanchez, who was 33 at the time, like I said, apparently ate the child's brain and some other body parts before stabbing herself. At around 4.30 a.m., while the rest of the family slept, she attacked her infant son with a large kitchen knife and a machete and a sword. Further on in the interview with detectives, Sanchez explains the decision to kill her son, saying, quote, The voices told me to eat his insides. I was a harlot because I had committed adultery. There was a demon in my stomach. The demons would come out of her stomach if she ate Scotty. This had to be done by five in the morning. Scotty would evolve and then he would no longer be possessed. What? Sanchez says the act of eating her child made her gag and throw up, but the voices told her to eat it again. Police officers would describe the crime scene as one of the most gruesome they had ever seen, and some of them later needed counseling. My lord. I couldn't imagine not not needing counseling after that. I mean... I, like, need counseling after reading it shit. I know, seriously. And that's not the most graphic depiction of what happened, but you get the point. Um, Mm. It's... It's just so hard to imagine that that is, that is what happened here. And she genuinely believed 
she was saving her son. That just goes to show how debilitating mental illness can be. I mean, she Same was... Same thing with Ad- Andrea Yates. She believed right. she was saving her kids. And, like, you know, we, we hate to overuse and over... I don't even know. Overstimulate the word crazy because it just... It's such a blanket word. It just doesn't really fit. Well, a lot of people find time. it very derogatory yeah, as well. They do, exactly. It's, it's just not a fair thing to say, but, I mean... It just goes to show you the lengths that the human mind can take you to when it's totally unhinged. I mean, mm-hmm. she was convinced that Satan was possessing her baby and the way to get him out was to kill him and eat him. This poor kid. It's just like, it's one of those things that really makes you question everything because it's how could a precious baby be born into such into a... that. Like, give it literally two weeks old. Yeah. Wow. It's just, it's like inconceivable. And it's it's even more tragic because there was, it's just tragic because there were so many chances for someone to step in and get this woman the treatment to stabilize her. And instead they handed her back her baby. You heard in the 911 call that in the middle of the night, that night she lived with her sister and her sister's two kids who were also very young. Um, I believe they're like four and six or something. Um... She she took the baby, her sister took her baby in, away when she was having this break and thought she calmed down enough to give her baby back and that is when everything happened. It's just a disaster after a disaster after a disaster and for whatever reason, every single person that could have failed, Adi did. Um, so let's get into the sentencing and the trial. Yeah. Prosecutors confronted a difficult decision. Should Adi Sanchez face criminal charges or be sent to a state hospital for treatment? When you say difficult decision, I mean... Beyond. You, you think there's any evidence here to say that she might be a little bit unhinged? Mentally ill? But it's, a, it's the same thing where it's like... With like Vince Lee's case. We'll talk right. about it with eye for an eye, but with Vince Lee's case, he was jail? sentenced to a mental institution and now he's right. free with now no with nobody watching him at all. Yep. Um, he is currently out. He could be in Pittsburgh. He might be listening. Vinny, give us a shout. Swear. Um, but, and that's the thing that's scary because like I said, when people are stabilized, they believe they don't need the medication. Nobody wants to take a cocktail of pills every single day for the rest of their lives, especially when they start to feel better because they think, why the fuck do I need this? I'm feeling good. Right. Not realizing that the reason they're feeling good is because... Their mood is stabilized. They're stabilized on this cocktail. And nobody, like I said, nobody wants to take 35 pills a day um, every single day for the rest of their lives, but some people, it, it's beneficial to. Um, so that's what we'll talk about here because that was the prosecution's biggest... Um, trial that they were facing here crux of their case now despite evidence that sanchez was insane at the time of the killing some in san antonio openly called for the death penalty and we'll talk about this like i said when we get to the eye for an eye portion that also included the father of the baby scott yep he told a san antonio television reporter in late july quote i think she should be punished to the fullest extent of the law she killed my son. She should burn in hell. Quote. Prosecutors eventually decided to pursue a criminal case. In September, a grand jury indicted Sanchez for capital murder. 
In jail, Sanchez received the counseling and medication to which she had such a spotty access to on the outside. So at least in jail, she was facing, um, you know, treatment at least. Well, you'd hope she was getting at least some type of psychological counseling, but mm-hmm. appropriate so, or to, to the right degree, we don't know. Mm-hmm. Well, her mental condition did stabilize for that moment when she was in jail on the right medication. And as a result, she was found competent to stand trial after examinations by experts appointed by both the court and her defense attorney. So basically, she was put in jail, given the proper medication, and now she is found. Competent. It's kind of, wouldn't you think that kind of fucked her over? Like, why would her defense attorney? Or do you do that? Well, I, or did they want her to stand trial? I just want to point out, a lot of times it's not up to them. A lot of times, if somebody voluntarily stops taking whatever their medication might be or is supposed to be receiving treatment or should have gone to someone and didn't, they're considered to have almost been somewhat culpable you know why didn't you take your pills why weren't you on this medication somebody told you to take it and you stopped taking it so i'm wondering if they might have put her on these meds in jail to say hey let's see if she's competent to stand trial when she is heavily medicated and is stable mm-hmm. is she Could she be like a threat to society when she's actually stabilized the right. way she's properly supposed to but like who's to say when she gets out she'd still have that access you know what right. i mean i mean you can also heavily sedate somebody just to the point that they're able to stand trial yeah. yeah you know like so getting into that matt examiners did conclude that she understood the legal process and charges against her after three different examinations by separate doctors determined that she was legally insane when she killed her son, she, the court had no choice but to accept a plea. Which I don't understand why they had no choice, but... Defense attorneys entered the plea on behalf of Audie Sanchez, and it was accepted shortly thereafter as part of, part of an agreement with prosecutors. Audie was found not guilty by reason of insanity in 2010 in a deal that sends her to a state mental institution rather than to face a trial and possible prison sentence. She will be committed until a court decides that she is not a danger to herself or anyone else. County District Attorney Susan Reed said that she was horrified by what Sanchez did, but also disturbed by the fact that she had sought treatment before killing her son and didn't receive the care she needed. She was effectively turned away. Camera said during the trial that music coming from a jailhouse speaker triggered Sanchez into a flashback of the night her son died. The hallucinations returned, and Sanchez called over a guard for help. A jailer handed Sanchez some more medication, and she calmed down. If only that had been available to her that evening. Let's get into it. Eye for an eye. So she kind of got like Her Majesty's Pleasure version of of, of a mental Right. Mental health. Right. Guidelines. These are always so hard because it's one of those things where it's like, okay, and so she's stabilized enough to release her and she's not a threat to society. But then who's watching her? And then when she's she's out, out, who's forcing her to take medication? Who, you know, clearly where she lived was not taking her mental illness seriously. Um, So who's to say that when she's out, that this is going to be followed up with, that this is going to be something that people are monitoring all the time? Yes, a good example is Vince Lee. And if you haven't listened to that case, 
go back and listen because that's one of the most wild cases also, to do with mental illness that we've covered thus far besides this one. What's the appropriate amount of time to spend in a mental health facility for having murdered someone? That's right? another question. You know, like, is there a statutory guideline for that somewhere? Do we base that off of... I guess Her Majesty's pleasure again, but at the same time... Yeah, that's pretty much what her sentence is. But that's the scary thing, because it's like, okay, we've seen that she can be stabilized quickly. Right. Right? They saw that in jail when she was awaiting to see if she was going to be standing trial or not. Right. And that's the part that worries me, because it's like, okay, so we can stabilize her. So what? how long do we stabilize her and hold her for until she's able to be a functional member of society, in quotes, um, let her out, Maybe she's monitored for a couple of years, couple, you know, but then what? Right. Hey, right? What do you think? Well, I think this is a prime example of why um, all mental illness is different. You know, how mm-hmm. like some of some mental illness, you are able to be a functioning member of society and like a Xanax every once in a while yeah. will help you out. Yeah, yeah. But, like right. there are some people who are violent and are a danger to themselves and others. And I think this is a case of someone who is... Who has shown that tendency to be violent to not only Um, herself but others. She acknowledged she was not well, Mm -hmm. too, right? I mean, she... But that makes you think. If she was cognizant enough to take herself to a hospital and say, help me, I need help, and then she finally really broke, that makes you think. Yes, I mean, well, lots of people are able to say, help me, I need help, but then don't go home and murder their children. True. Some of those people get help. Yes, but even some of them who don't. Yeah. Which is why this case is different, because this woman is actually dangerous to herself and others if she doesn't have the correct... Yeah, cocktail of medicine. So, it's hard with these kind of cases because she wasn't given a definite sentence. So, we don't know if she's going to be released in a year, if she's going to be released in 50, or if she's never going to be released. I think the question is, should she have been sentenced to jail time, or is she in the right place in a mental health institution? That's our eye for an eye question. Yeah. So, ladies? No, she's in, the, she's in the right place. Yeah, I agree. I don't think jail would have done anything for her. I think, if anything, it would have been way worse. Yeah, it made it way worse. Um, And probably made her more dangerous to people. Because in a, in a jail, yeah, they have psychiatrists, I'm sure, but not in the way that a mental health institution does. And not someone who understands the different aspects of medication and what she would need and you know how to really cater to make her the safest she can be to herself and others and I don't think jail would have provided that for her what do you think Matt I agree 100 percent I think we briefly mentioned recidivism rates earlier in the show and I think it's so important to remember because a lot of these people wind up reoffending or committing worse crimes after they get out of jail because they've either become institutionalized and aren't familiar with how normal functioning society should work or they are just unable to function as a normal person in society because you know they're used to living amongst criminals that's not unheard of and I think if Adi Sanchez wasn't receiving care she wasn't if anything and also I mean I'm sure you guys have heard I know I've heard how child killers are received in jail Mm-hmm. Male or female, it doesn't matter. Yeah, you're going to be killed. You're not well received. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, period. So, Especially I mean, in any... In Texas, era, too? Yeah. yeah, I mean, like, and that's one of the most heavily gang-populated prison systems just because of its proximity. So I would think in 
her situation, she would have, I'll tell you the truth, I think she would be dead right now if she had gone to jail and, as opposed to a mental health facility. So I do believe that for her sake and for mm-hmm. anything, really, she but was... What about the indefinite of her sentence? So she could very well be released. Whenever, I mean, obviously, it's probably not going to be anytime soon, hopefully, but you never know. Like I said, I keep going back to Vince Lee's case because that still astonishes me. He did pretty much the same thing, but with an adult. He killed him, beheaded him, and ate him. Literally what Audie did to Mm -hmm. her baby. Mm -hmm. And he is now a free walking member of society who does not have someone following up to make sure that he is following, you know, guidance. I mean, as of now, it doesn't seem like he's committed any crimes. It does seem like he's stabilized and he is taking his medication or, you know, stabilized. Well, I said it best. Everyone's different. I mean, he might have been evaluated enough that they were like, you know, he's fine. So what do you think, time-wise, do you think there is a timeline or do you think she should spend her rest of her life in this institution? Do you think she would get out and be a productive member of society? Based on what we've read, obviously we don't know her, but based on this history. Hannah? I don't know. I mean, Right? It's hard. Because the other guy, like, yes, he killed someone, but, like, this woman killed her child and, like, her... There's just, like, another degree to it. And, like, who's to say she'd never have a kid again? And who's to say she wouldn't be suicidal after Mm -hmm. that, you know? I don't know. I just think it's it's hard to say because she wasn't given a definite sentence. So yes, we we all agree that she's where she belongs. She would not fare well in prison. It would not be a, a suitable place for someone with her mental um, state to be. It wouldn't be helpful for anyone at all. And I think that that's important. But as far as like the indefinites goes, I think I think I mean we've seen in Texas they literally she walked into jail saying help me or not jail. Wow, she let herself into jail. She um, walked into a hospital and said, please help me. And they literally went, nah, boop, boop. like, out you go. Here's a pamphlet on, you know, postpartum. Have fun. Who's to say that's not going to happen again? So, yes, she's cognizant enough maybe to say, I need help. But her surroundings not helping her. Yeah. That's how this all happened. Do you think any of those people should be held accountable? Or do you think you can't do that? That's yeah. not fair. It's not, not that it's unfair. Because you but can't predict, like Hannah you, said, it's, yeah. it's situational. You can't predict 99.9% of people don't go home and kill their baby who suffer from psychotic breaks. We talked about the numbers at the top of the show, but still, like, can you imagine being one of those doctors? How do you assess someone's mental state before they do something like this? Though? It's, it's tough to say. But, but even then, like Hannah said, when you assess a mental state, no one's ever going to predict that's going to mean you're going to go home and murder and eat your baby. Right. You know what I mean? Because people can have the worst psychotic breaks and still not harm somebody. They still don't, they're still not a threat or a danger. And that's where it gets tricky, right? Because, and I do feel like, you know, I think maybe this, the city should be held accountable a little bit, just a little bit, not a lot of it. Because how that can they predict? For healthcare services, at least to some degree, because but it's like she tried to go back. She literally, it looked like, at least to me from researching, it it looks like she did everything she possibly could to get help, to get the medication. She couldn't afford it. Her healthcare didn't cover it. They cut her off from it. Like they took. She tried to get all these resources. She did. She sought help, and then they kind of dropped the ball well they really dropped the ball you know what I mean and that's why would we not hold that accountable I mean yes of course we can't predict that she's gonna go home and be violent but at the end of the day she literally was begging them for for help and they were like nah, sorry we don't have a bed for you we can't help you oh, today yeah, there's definitely a lawsuit there you yeah. th- like 
I just think that's insane. And like her yeah, poor maybe family. Maybe a civil case, not really. As yeah, much a criminal. criminal case. I agree. Yeah. So her against whoever. Last thing I want to say, honestly, that I believe is as far as eye for an eye. The point of a mental health institution, as opposed to jail, is rehabilitation. Getting them back into society. Get them back to normality and bring them back to a functioning level. But I don't know. I mean, without. But I also think of it as like some mental illnesses do need to be monitored forever. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. And some people, you know, have different varies. Kept away from the. And I don't think those people belong in jail. You know what I mean? Because I do understand what you're saying, though. But yeah. I don't know. We'll see what happens. But that is this case. I'm sorry. It was so horrible and tragic. And that's why we keep saying over and over and over again, if you or anyone you know show any of these signs, symptoms, get help and and keep getting help. Keep going back until someone listens to you. Like in this case, we've said over and over again, it seems like Audie literally went to get help a handful of times in the days leading up to this horrible, tragic event um, and was shooed away. And that, like, that's the thing. Like, what, how... Where do we go from here? If you're if you're suffering and you go to get help and they say, sorry, I mean, my advice would be to keep going. Go back to anyone and everyone. Scream it out to the right to Dr. Phil. Get someone who will listen to you and take it seriously. Don't give up. But, I mean, I guess if you're suffering, how in the world could you ever feel like, I mean, I'm sure already you feel it's the end all be all. I can't get help. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not fixable. And then you're turned away. How does that, you know, how... What do, how do we, like, we just talked about how she got turned away from places, so how in the world can we tell other people suffering, go get help, if we just told them the help doesn't really help you? Right. So that's where it's tricky, but make sure, I mean, tell somebody. Absolutely. Tell somebody. Reach out. Get, get out there, the, text the crisis hotline, do something. We, we just want to make sure that we're preventing tragedies from this happening to you or anyone you love or... It's just all around an insane case. So that was Eye for an Eye, Audie Sanchez. Please don't Google images of this case. It is horrific for whatever Please reason. Don't Google. It's in a book. There's a book that some people have, which I wouldn't ever get. Something about crime scenes. This one is in there. That's the way I found this. It was posted on a different group that I'm in. Not the picture, but like about the book that the picture's in. And that's how I found this case. Um, I did not know about this case prior, so shout out to whoever posted about it. It's horrible, and it gave me nightmares, but that's it for nice. So go ahead, rate, review, subscribe. Big thank you to Hannah for being here for this episode. I'm sorry if I've traumatized you because it's traumatizing enough for me. Everybody, go watch like a happy movie or do something you love and hug everybody you know because this is just a lot to take. We love you. Have a good night. child and it hurt me real bad because i mean i don't want my child being raised by somebody believing that that's his father just doesn't make sense the the devil doesn't tell you to do anything where's the devil who talks to the devil i think she should be punished to the fullest extent of the law that's what i believe should happen to her she killed my son she should she she should burn in hell It's true that some things change as we get older. 
But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com.